three out of four U.S. adults are saying that they drink more in 2020 than they did in 2019. So we can assume that the pandemic had a lot to do with that. It's like we all went from making bread to making drinks. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Kyra Romani is a career coach and customer success leader. She's also the founder of Thrive Network, a networking community for the women of customer success, and she currently heads up customer experience at Cutback Coach, a new tool to help people proactively build positive habits around alcohol consumption. In this episode, Cairo and I discuss alcohol consumption during the pandemic, the biggest challenges she sees as a career coach, and the advantages of working at an early stage startup. Actually, I even forgot to say congratulations on the Series A. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was very exciting. It must still be a crazy time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love, this is why I kind of love working with like first time founders is their excitement is very contagious. So I just really Mm -hmm. enjoy seeing Nick and Ian like so hyped to like hop on a call with their brand new team and talk about their product. I mean, it's, it's unrivaled. That is really cool, especially a series A, like where it's like a big jump in terms of awareness and customers and product innovation and all those cool things that, that get you excited. Yeah, a hundred percent. Before we dive more into that, because I'm really curious about what's coming next and all that kind of plans for it, but let's just to set a baseline. Can you explain to, to listeners what Cutback Coach is and what the problem is that you're solving? So at Cutback Coach, we're creating a new wellness category around proactive alcohol health. We're focused on mindful drinking rather than an all or nothing approach. Our members text a bot to track their drinks, and then the bot monitors their goal and sends reminders and encouragement. And if they reach out for like extra support or coaching, then there's a real human who will respond back. That's super cool. So does it, in terms of what constitutes mindful drinking, is there like a, there's certain amounts, is there like one amount that is programmed in as like healthy versus not healthy and tries to keep people on track or do people set their own goals as to how many drinks they want? How does it work sort of from that perspective? So we're doing a couple of things at Cutback Coach. So I'll say that there's a recommended plan that you can follow if you feel like you want that level of guidance, but you can also customize the plan to go at your own pace. So there's like an algorithm aspect of it, which will cut you back based on certain behavior, but we also want people to feel comfortable and and this is a different journey for everyone. So some of our members choose to create their own path in terms of like, you know, measuring out a drink. There are like standards for that that you can like easily find online. But we also will share that information with folks and just tell them to try and keep that measurement as close as possible. But if you're tracking the same amount of alcohol over and over and over again, then you'll you'll learn how much you're drinking kind of either way. True. And I think it's depending on what you're drinking too. Like I, I feel like it's pretty easy with spirits and things where it's about an ounce but if you're going for like five ounces of wine versus six or seven or eight like it's kind of hard to tell in those bigger glasses yeah and so it's really easy to to not be sure of how much you're actually consuming yeah absolutely and so that's that's really what cutback coach is trying to do is like push that mindfulness um to stop and and think and i i know i've never measured a drink before working here so little things like that make a huge difference it's true i only the only reason that i think I've been good about measuring is because I used to bartend. So in my mind, I'm like, I know 
approximately how much is going into each thing. But, you know, that also means that I'm probably overconfident with my measuring. And I'm like, yeah, that's about an ounce and a half right. of, of whatever it is. Right. But if I were to use myself as an example, because I'm I'm curious to, to sort of learn more about it. So up until like last week, actually, I started again this week. I took two weeks having no drinks because I was having probably a drink a day. Okay. Because it just kind of sort of became a habit after work. That was my separation between like I was at work and now I'm in relaxation mode. And I started to do some research and I was, you know, trying to figure out if that was healthy or unhealthy or what that even means, um, which is the first time I've ever really done that. I've never really cared about how much I drank, not because I would never really overdo it, except actually last year at my mother-in-law's uh, 50th birthday party that I definitely overdid. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a good story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe another podcast. But I'm to drink, uh, dig a little deeper into what goals are and what the plans are that you're talking about. Can you talk a little more, a bit more about what constitutes healthy versus unhealthy drinking? Because I'm also curious, is it just to do with the amount or is it also the time of day or what the type of drink that you're having is? Like, curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think overall, and I and I want to talk about this overall, is we're encouraging folks to, one, think about why they're drinking when it comes down to like what's healthy versus what's unhealthy and figuring out what the root cause of it is. You know, some folks are drinking because of stress. Some folks are drinking just because it's a, a habit and it's just part of the routine. And then they stop and they think about it and they're like, oh, I don't need this anymore. The other thing that I, th I think, you know, we're encouraging folks uh, to do at Cutback Coach is to pay attention to how they feel. So it's like if you wake up the next morning and you're okay, both emotionally and physically, chances are you didn't pass your personal limit, like you had a good night. But if you wake up hungover or you're feeling a large sense of regret, then there's a good chance that it might be time to make change. And so I'll say like using myself as an example, I definitely drank more during quarantine than I've like ever have. Um, and three out of four U.S. adults are saying that they drink more in 2020 than they did in 2019. So we can assume oh, wow. that the pandemic had a lot to do with that. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I know. It's funny. It's like we all went from making bread to making drinks. But <laughs> <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> Why not both? Maybe we were doing it at the same time sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I know that at least for me that I notice a change in my energy. I notice a change in my sleep patterns now that I've like cut down than what I, I mean, I was up crazy hours in the beginning of the pandemic. I was drinking all the time and I definitely didn't feel my best when it came to like productivity. So cutting back has helped me personally in a lot of ways that it's helped our members. That's a great, uh, great point and, and crazy stat. So the, the timing seems almost coincidental, right? Because of the increase in consumption during COVID. Did Cutback Coach launch during COVID or before the pandemic? Uh, it did. Nick Allen and Ian Anderson launched in January of 2020. So right before it hit, kind of serendipitous. Yeah, amazing timing. And if people are interested in getting access, downloading it, can you tell us a bit about uh, what's the cost, what's the process around getting access, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a, a range of plans. So you can do monthly, quarterly, and yearly, and there's a free trial that lasts 15 days. So if you want to go to cutbackcoach.com, you can go ahead and sign up for the free trial and pick your plan and also just get a chance to look at all the features before you buy. Very cool. Something that I thought was interesting, too, is a lot of people were also using us for dry January. Mm. So just tracking zeros. And it really goes to speak to how important it is just the tracking habit of its own and getting that confirmation in the in the morning that like I didn't drink. I had like a, a good day and a mm -hmm. good night. And that was that was it. So whether you're drinking or you're not drinking, it seems like there's like a lot of use for Cutback Coach in terms of mindfulness in general. I only remember that dry January is a thing 
because I'm not really on social media. So <laughs> I only you. realized it was a thing about halfway through the month. And I was like, crap, well, now I have to wait till next January. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people hopped on in the last two weeks, actually, which I, I thought oh, yeah. was really great. Yeah, people were like, oh, I'm going to be dry for the next couple of weeks. And, and they went through to the end of January. So and then other people have written in and said, I'm going to do all dry February. So it's never too late. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the answer I was looking for. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe I'll go for a dry March. That sounds because uh, I've already ruined February. I'm a purist, so if I'm doing it, it needs to be from the, the <laughs> first of the month to the last of the month, and, and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. I know you're still pretty early on, but are there plans or does it currently support substances beyond alcohol? Like in Canada, cannabis is completely legal and I think consumed by probably 50% of the country. So is that something that is also currently supported or planning to be supported? We get that question a lot. We're solely focused on drinking, but we encourage folks to use us in conjunction with other wellness apps. So people use us while they count their calories with Noom and, and things like that, or count their steps on their Apple Watch. So we're a great like supplement to a healthy lifestyle. Very cool. Speaking of making healthier choices, obviously your career, what you're doing every day has a huge impact on the choices that you make when it comes to food or alcohol or cannabis or anything like that. I want to talk a little bit about career stuff because you've had a very interesting one. Um, you've been in community roles, sales roles, recruiting roles, mostly or always with early stage companies. How did you make the the move from recruiting? And correct me if I have this wrong, but I believe you made the jump from recruiting into customer success. So I will correct you. I did make that jump, but I was doing customer success before I did recruitment. So actually recruitment was a diversion for me. And I will say then probably the answer you're asking is how did I make a jump from customer success to recruitment? And that's because it's all relationship management. And so if anyone hops on my LinkedIn and they look at all of my roles, it's all been about relationship management. And it has all been with like small companies companies who are just trying to figure out those relationships for the first time. And what is it you love about those early stage companies? I love everything from the range of possibility that there is all the way to the messiness and like being in the trenches. Like there's a lot of CS leaders who don't want to talk to customers, which I think is crazy. And I don't even understand the concept of my job without doing that at least a little bit, at least monthly. And so I really enjoy that because I'm entering so young, I get like full control and full scope of where our customers are today, where we want to bring them and then have like full control over bringing them from point A to point B. I also really enjoy working with founders who are in seed to A just because I think that there's a lot of discussion around ideas that you just don't get later on when things are more set in stone. And I think that idea of like, we can go anywhere, we can do anything is just, it's just really impossible to beat. That's true. That's a great point. That is the most probably the most exciting part. Generally, it's it's you know once those processes start getting put into place and things get or start getting figured out, some of that creativity might go away or some there's might be some more limitations to what can be done. Is that part of what you love as well? Like, are you a process person? Do you like to create things and put them into place and then hand them off, or are you more on like the creative exploration, like out there kind of side of things? What, what's your preference? I feel like you're trying to make me choose and I don't want to. Um, <laughs> well, early stage, you have to do everything. So it's, <laughs> it's good to be good at all of it, but being good at all of it doesn't mean that you love all of it. No, that's but fair. I, I will say the implementing process is, is maybe my favorite thing. I do love the vision and, and talking about scaling, but the actual building is where it becomes really interesting and where you start to learn things. You can sit in a room and talk about ideas all day, but it isn't until you start to like implement those ideas that you make mistakes and that you learn from them. And I think it's really great 
now that like to work with young companies who are already thinking about customer success and really realizing that it's like really important is because you have a chance to start those processes and do those experiments early while it's still okay to lose some customers and it's still okay to like mess around a little bit and and customers are understanding if you tell them like you're a young company and you're learning they actually get excited about that and like want to participate more and i just think that's something that's very unique that happens in smaller companies that's a really good point and one of the most fun parts i think about being an early stage company as well is just the excitement from those early customers and being able to be transparent with them, which I would say a lot of companies don't do, right? They, they feel like they need to act like they have, you know, all their shit figured out and that they're on top of everything, but mm-hmm. customers always appreciate transparency. So even if it's saying, look, like we haven't built that, that's, we don't know if that's going to be on our roadmap next year, but let's have a conversation about it. That can get you a lot farther than giving some kind of half honest or, or more opaque response. Absolutely. And I think you end up with better customers too. I mean, don't shoot the messenger, but I think sometimes it's just fine to lose people because they weren't your ideal buyer or they're not ideal for the program. And so I think that transparency and being upfront with your customers allows you to weed out the folks that aren't really meant for you. Definitely. In addition to all this early stage startup craziness, uh, you are also a career coach. Yeah. Is that something you're doing at the same time as you're doing cutback coach or are you taking a break from that while you're focused on this? Uh, no, I still coach. I work with women and gender nonconforming folks who work in tech or want to work in tech. It actually aligns perfectly fine with the coaching work that I end up having to do at cutback coach. Um, and it was part of why they were interested in bringing me on. It's a great I will call it a hobby because I I really enjoy the startup environment. And if I can pull people into it, into like making a mark in these these small companies and watching them grow, I feel like everyone should do it at least once. And it's great for your career to get that kind of experience if if you really have it in you. I also am a strong believer, diversity in tech. And I think that I look to make opportunities or teach folks how to take those opportunities for themselves. So I really value that work that I do on the side. Yeah, that's fantastic work. And and it's something where the simple reason that they're not involved in tech is because they haven't been exposed to it. And it seems like a foreign entity mm-hmm. that oh, if I don't know how to code, or I don't understand what an API is or anything like that, then I can never get involved. But it's really, you know, it's quite simple. And a lot of us just sort of, sort of stumbled into it. Yep. And I love that just kind of going out there to, to recruit more people into uh, into the cult so to speak. Yeah. And a lot of my um, clients, I will say over the past year, actually are looking to become CSMs. And so oh, awesome. I think customer success is a great like gateway into tech. And I think because it's learnable and you don't have to go out and go to a boot camp or anything, mm-hmm. you just have to be good with people and a curious person and, you, and you're off to a good start. Absolutely. Put, send those people to our coaching program, Catalyst, <laughs> the <laughs> Catalyst Coaching Corner. Absolutely. It's free and it's great. gets people into CSM roles. And if people wanted to look into your coaching to potentially engage you or should they find you they can go to cairo-amani.com or you can easily google me awesome spam you on linkedin yeah (laughs) Um, what is the top challenge people who hire you usually come to you with definitely confidence issues i mean society is not designed for women or gender queer folks to feel good about ourselves so it's really hard to like walk into a room with the confidence of a white male um (laughs) if you're not a white male and a lot of my coaching revolves around owning that confidence for yourself like people are out here lying and bragging about themselves and job interviews and getting things that they don't necessarily deserve while there are other folks who are working 10 times as hard specifically black women and getting nowhere so i think that like 
confidence is the first step in that of really being able to tell your story of really pinpointing who you are and what it is you bring to the table and talking about that in a way that's like enticing. I think we often walk into interviews feeling like I need this job. Like I'm, I'm the subservient person in this and no, it's a business transaction. You're equals. And so they want you and they want to fill the space as much as you want a job. So you're an investment and you're also like a sales rep selling yourself. And I think you, I think a lot of my clients need to detach that emotional aspect of looking for a job and that emotional aspect of the interview and just think of it more as, a business transaction and a puzzle to be solved. Yeah, a lot of great points there. I think, yeah, one of the first ones that, that just came to mind, and you probably know this stat better than I do, so forgive me if I get the number wrong, but uh, it was something like, I can't remember the number, but men were much more likely likely to apply to a job that they didn't quite qualify for. They were maybe like 70% or 80% of the way there. And they're just like, yeah, but I can do it. So they like go out of reach. And then women were like 120% qualified for the jobs that they were applying for. So they were, they wanted to make sure they were more than qualified to do everything that was listed in the job description. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's a very broad stat and not applicable to everyone, but that was just something that, that came to mind that I think is one of the reasons why there's still such a, a disparity between leadership roles and in salaries and compensation and things like that. Absolutely. The confidence in interviews thing is, I think is really important. And I see it too. I mean, it's just with young people in general as well, like people that are early in their career. I think that's a learning that maybe we've gotten better at in tech. At least I, I, I like to be optimistic. So I'm hoping we've gotten better at in tech of that understanding that it's a two way interview. The, the candidate is interviewing the company as much as the company is interviewing the candidate and you should be wanting to walk away from a job opportunity. That's not a good fit, even if they want to hire you and, and vice versa. And I think that understanding makes a huge difference, but it's a hard learning to make. And it's not something that companies have any interest in, in teaching you. So it's kind of got to come through like tribal knowledge and dissemination through the community. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw you speaking on careers as well. So I know that you definitely know your stuff. I mean, I love to talk to people. I'm the same as you. And I love to hear what different people have to say and how different people have navigated their careers. And so I think it's just important that we get that information out there because it's better for everyone. If people know their worth and are good at communicating their worth, then it's a win-win situation. The company does better. The person's happier. They stay longer. The culture's better. There's endless you know, positive aspects to that. I agree. So continuing sort of along the line of career growth and development and, and how we can help people do, do better in their careers, uh, what is the most common mistake that you see people making? I mean, I think it goes back to this underestimating yourself. I mean, so much of it comes down to like not taking an opportunity because you don't think that you can do it or not introducing an idea because you don't think that it's good and, or you don't think someone else will think it's good. And so I think that like we let fear and a lack of confidence hold us back from really gaining careers that we want. The other thing that I love to do is just point out that it's fine to career hop. I've done it a lot. I think it matters. I mean, I'm a little purposeful because I am trying to work with small companies and then leave them at a certain point when they don't need me anymore. But I also like to explore, like I needed to prove to myself that recruitment wasn't for me, but I needed to try it first. And and I have preferred to work for companies that valued the diversity of my experience instead of ones that it made them anxious. And those have been mm -hmm. the better conversations. And so I would say, you know, the takeaway from that is target the right companies. Don't set your, yourself up for failure. You'll walk away thinking you're an awful candidate when really it's like, who's the right fit for your brand and like who you are. And branding yourself is really the main thing that I work with clients on. And it's probably like the first stepping stone of really building a career that's valuable to you. 
Yes. Uh, a thousand times. Yes. It occurred to me, you're like the Mary Poppins of startups. You show up when they're most needed. And then once they're ready for the next stage, you just float off into the sunset. I love that. Ben. <laughs> that can, that can, I'm keeping it. Yeah. Go for it. It's all, it's all yours. I'm going to brand it. <laughs> um, but I agree. And it's, uh, helping people develop that personal brand and figure out kind of who they, what their work identity is, is such an important step. And, uh, and so it's fantastic to hear that you're, you're helping people with that. We've talked about sort of why you prefer sort of small early stage companies. Do you not fantasize sometimes around like, oh, you know, imagine having this like pile of budget I could pull from or a team of like 12 minions I could, you know, put on this, this project that I don't really want to do. Like, is that something that occurs to you or are you always just always all in there? Um, that's a good question. I always want more budget. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think enough budget in the world could satisfy me because I think there's so much you can do with customer success. Yes. But I like the challenge of trying to figure it out being scrappy. I've worked with different with different companies with like different levels of funding. And so sometimes we can afford a CRM. Sometimes we can and we've got to make do. Sometimes we can get Confluence. Sometimes we've got to stay in Google Drive. Um, and so I like the I do like the challenge of figuring out like how we're going to solve problems when we don't have all the resources in the world. And I don't think that, I mean, I'm not, you know, downplaying what it would be like to like work at Google and have like everything that I could possibly need at my fingertips. I'm sure there's huge problems to solve there as well. I just think that for me personally, I'm excited about helping people become these unicorn companies and really starting out with that first step of like, I mean, it works the same way my clients, my coaching clients do is like helping a, a young startup is helping them figure out their voice and helping them brand themselves to their customers. And I just think that there is like no greater challenge and no more exciting of a problem to solve. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we think about where people are kind of starting their careers and, and there's maybe a, there's all these things that we know they can do, right? We've talked about branding and knowing what you're looking for in a job and what you're looking for in a culture and, and all that sort of thing. Do you think that's something that comes from like our universities not doing their jobs? Or I mean, less people are going to universities, so maybe it's colleges. Like where is that sort of stemming from? And what are some other ways that you think, because I mean, it's great to do one-to-one, -one, obviously. We can get on a Zoom call and, and advise someone. But I'm trying to just, you know, if we were to tackle this as like a larger issue, where do you think it comes from and, and what are some ways that you think it could be tackled at a larger scale to get more people into tech, more people into customer success, more people understanding branding and, and identity, importance of identity? As far as like branding and figuring out your personal career, my college wasn't helpful with this and a lot of my peers' colleges weren't helpful with this because I think that the way we think about jobs is very outdated compared to how like tech works now. So like I'll take a resume, for example. When I was growing up, not to date myself, it was really great to have an objective on your resume and this long paragraph that explained like who you were. And we were also putting our home addresses because you were still going to get a letter delivered to you that told you if you got the job or not. Right. Now people are putting their addresses, but it doesn't matter. Only your email matters. And you don't necessarily need an objective. You can get away with a sentence that really defines like who you are and, and have it be great and send someone to your website. We're just in a completely different world than we were um, hiring. And I think it's not just tech companies. I think a lot of companies are kind Kind of changing the way that they're they're looking at the hiring process and and i feel like educational institutions but also like we as individuals have to just keep up people are people are writing about this if you're fresh out of college and, and you're thinking about like how to get a job you have to do that research everyone's gonna hop on google and like figure it out so the information is out there i think the biggest hurdle is just that there's been this drastic change of what 
people are really like looking for when they're looking for a candidate and how to have these conversations. And we haven't caught up with that change yet. Definitely. It takes a while, especially larger institutions to catch up to modern times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about relationship building, because that's something that has always interested me. Obviously, it's something being in customer success and community building is core to that. And I feel like it was really, I mean, looking back, I'm like, oh, it was so freaking easy before COVID. It was like, okay, let's go in the same room. Let's go for, for coffee. Let's go for a reasonably measured out drink. And, you know, we can build a relationship. We can communicate face-to-face. -face. COVID completely changed that. How have you felt the that adaptation going from in-person to relationship building, you know, full-time as your main job over Zoom? Well, thankfully at Cutback Coach, I don't feel that strain as much because we have a very B2C function. And so I wouldn't be visiting these people anyway. But I will say that I was like travel was a huge part of my previous role and missing it was part of why I ended up falling out of love with it because it is very hard to relationship build in, in certain environments when you can't really like visit someone and like sit down and talk with them. We're all zoomed out because we're on Zoom all the time. I noticed that my customers attention span was was waning or they weren't showing up to meetings like they used to it's definitely definitely hard and i won't say i have anything figured out but i will say that my tips for anyone i guess who's struggling and this is relevant to my previous role and also the work i'm doing at cutback coach is to then focus on value delivered and that's how you build your relationship and if you can prove that you're still providing value in the middle of a pandemic, then you're going to get that feedback and you're going to get that interaction, even if it looks a little different. It's a great point. The value is always a good thing to come back to. And then if, in terms of Cutback Coach, obviously it's, there is an element of customer success for sure, but it's more at scale, right? It's more of a customer experience sort of play and it's sort of a mixing of the two concepts. How are you currently measuring customer success with Cutback Coach? That's what we're thinking about literally right now. Um, so I don't have answers for you, but I will say that, that me saying like, think about the value definitely came from the work I'm doing right now. So we, we know that ultimately, you know, our customers come to us with different goals. Some folks want to save money. Some folks want to lose weight. Some folks want to cut back for the just general health and wellness. They come with us with different levels of concern over their drinking. Everyone has a different path. And I'll say that what we're looking at right now is how can we personalize all those paths and make sure that people feel like they're getting the proper amount of attention throughout their whole journey with us for their year subscription. That makes sense. And there's definitely a lot of value hitting those metrics and then being able to report on those. Is there a plan to integrate with Fitbit or something like that? I could see that as sort of a, uh, a future state. We will be coming to your Apple Watch soon. Ooh, um, so that's going to it's going to be very exciting because we do want people to normalize tracking their drinks yeah. like they normalize tracking steps or counting calories. So it's the perfect fit. I always found counting calories so difficult because you don't I'm started doing to the point where I multiple times I was researching. I can't even remember what it was, but they it's in development. They have like a uh, molecular I don't even know what it was. It was something where basically it was like you could shine a light at like a, a not a light, I guess it was some, oh, I, I'm the least scientific person ever. <laughs> something that would tell you basically the makeup of whatever the of your food? food was or the item was or whatever. It was, But it's like not in consumer production, but there is a thing like that that exists that someone listening to will think I'm an idiot because I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it, it's so hard to, to assess 
the amount and the portions and this and that. And I feel like, at least for me, if I'm tracking something, I want to be crazy precise about it. And if I think that something is incorrect, then I'm tempted to throw it out altogether. So I think three separate times I've tried like really being, being diligent about logging food. And then I'll do it for like a month or two. And then I'll eat somewhere that doesn't have, you know, they haven't listed their nutritional information in my fitness pal. Or I'll mm -hmm. make something and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is in this. So, you know, it's just like <laughs> there. And then I'm like, all right, well, I missed a day. So, so screw it. Um, <laughs> is it a little, is it easier with alcohol in terms of measuring and knowing kind of what the calories and money saved and that sort of stuff is? I think we're lucky because the U.S. does have a standard for a drink. So we know like a glass of wine is five ounces. We know, um, you know, 12 ounce beers. You, the average for that is usually 5% alcohol. A shot's 1.5 ounces. And we can like measure that way. So I do think that compared to measuring food, measuring a drink is much easier. And the way that, you know, I suggest people track is like you just do it at first sip to get into the habit. And then that al also allows Cutback Coach's product to like keep up with you and like remind you like, hey, this is your target. This is where you are. Great job for slowing down or here's some advice to slow down. So as long as you do it alongside the bot, then you have the opportunity to hit your goal. Interesting. And when it comes to like, let's say it were to push you a notification to uh, recommend you slow down or something like that. Is there a way to know, do people report on compliance? Like if they still drank anyway, do they indicate in the app or do they lie about it? Like what's the, the general thought on there? I just went through, um, hilariously our, our NPS survey and, uh, people said that, uh, talking to a bot actually made them feel a little bit more honest and they didn't want to, they didn't want to lie. Um, so people do check in, you track, say you drink at night, you track those drinks. And then in the morning we send a confirmation text. So you can let us know if you went over or under, there's no judgment. And we like, sometimes people will write in like saying, Oh, I feel bad. I failed. And we're like, no, we don't use words like that. Like yeah. stay positive. It's not, it's not about failure. It's just, a, it's a target that's completely flexible and you could change it at, at any point. It's really just about like, building that habit and thinking about each drink. Yeah. It's just being in the gym every day, even yeah. if you're not, you know, running that far. Right. Exactly. Of course, our gym is closed. So <laughs> I really need to be counting my calories. Today I had a brownie, a clementine and a coffee for breakfast. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> See how you feel you need, you need to be honest with me. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, it's COVID, it's pandemic. So that's my excuse for everything now. I don't know how long that'll last. If it makes you feel any better, I'm like 90% made of carbs if we're going to talk about diet. like <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to finish off by putting you on the spot. But if you had one piece of advice that you could impart to uh, our whole audience right now. So we talked a lot about careers and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I would say for the folks who are maybe newer to CS... I would say keep going and lean on learning. And I think that's good advice for anyone who's anywhere in their career in customer success is because it's, we're training customers, we're teaching people, which means we constantly have to learn. But especially when you're starting out, when you lean on learning and you lean on being like question led, you're going to become so much more successful in the long run. Definitely. Great point. And I, to piggyback on that and sort of reiterate a point you made earlier, I think that people should take a, a page from your book and lean into working at early stage companies that you may not have heard of, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, you know, they're, they're great and they're cool and people have heard of them. Um, but the learnings and what you can get out of working at an early stage company are 
exponentially higher in my opinion and you're obviously living proof of that so <laughs> thanks i obviously agree with you <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was fantastic speaking with you today Kyra. we'll chat again soon thanks so much ben Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit Catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you. <laughs>